Hi there and welcome to McCabe Coward's Trial by Podcast. You're listening to episode 17 of our podcast series. Today's podcast is a special two-part edition with a roundup of the legal issues arising during COVID-19. The first part of this podcast will focus on contractual issues arising from the pandemic. And the second part will look at all other things law during COVID-19. I'm Stephanie Andrews here today with my colleague, Gidon Kangasa. Hi, everyone. Gidon here. It is certainly a challenging time for us all, but we are looking forward to this special edition. Just as an FYI, Steph and I are recording this podcast separately and remotely from our homes, thanks to the wonders of modern technology. I was hoping we could start with the concept of force majeure. I understand that this is a contractual construct that is found in many contracts and is probably being the most Googled legal term in the age of COVID-19. But what makes it so relevant? What's it all about? Well, fortunately for me and everyone, Andrew Guevara, a colleague of ours, has done an excellent job dealing with the practical issues parties with force majeure clauses may face in the heat of COVID-19. In his episode called, Is Your Force Majeure Clause Wide Enough to Catch the Coronavirus? I'm not going to get into the weeds of force majeure, but I do recommend our listeners to relax and enjoy that episode. I will deal with force majeure at a broader level. Sounds good. Force majeure literally means exceptionally strong force. The term has been adopted to describe a type of clause or clauses in contracts in which the parties have agreed to allocate the risk in circumstances whereby a supervening event, the force majeure event, occurs and impacts performance or right in contract. Force majeure clauses operate as a mechanism to excuse innocent parties in that circumstance because the force majeure event was beyond their reasonable control. So do you think the coronavirus would be captured by a force majeure clause? The answer to that question depends on the text and interpretation of the relevant contract. The clause needs to have sufficient certainty in that it defines its content, scope and consequence. Very importantly, the party seeking to rely on the force majeure clause needs to establish the causal connection between the event and its impact on performance. Some specific force majeure events that may be relevant to COVID-19 include pandemic, acts of government by reason of the government's mandates to flatten the curve, acts of God, as the origin and or the spread of the virus can possibly fall within the High Court's interpretation of an act of God being an event, and I quote, due to natural causes directly and exclusively and without human intervention, unable to be prevented by any degree of foresight and care reasonably to be expected. And of course, other broader events could be relevant too, such as hinder, delay and prevent. Interesting. I suspect there could be some debate over whether the transmission of the coronavirus caused by humans can be considered an act of God. It is certainly an interesting one. An act of God usually refers to natural occurrences such as tsunamis, bushfires, floods and other devastating natural events. This will be an interesting issue should it arise. So what do you think the key takeaway points are here? Well, for first, you need to see whether the contract has a force majeure provision with sufficient certainty. That is, it will not be void for being too broad or uncertain. Second, the all-important question. Is the force majeure event causally connected with the impact on performance? Third, know the consequences of invoking the force majeure clause prior to seeking to do so. Separately, parties should also consider a second possible legal pathway, which bears some similarities for force majeure. 
the doctrine of frustration. The doctrine of frustration can be a possible alternative for parties if a there is no force majeure clause in the relevant contract, or b the existing force majeure clause does not capture the event. What's the main difference? Frustration of contract is a common law legal principle, and force majeure is a creature of contract. There are no defined events in frustration, but guidance as to its scope can be better understood with reference to what the courts have said about the doctrine. When might it arise? Frustration may arise in circumstances involving the impact of an unforeseen supervening event that is not caused by default by the party on the performance of an obligation under the contract, such that the performance becomes impossible or radically different to what was agreed to by the parties. Very importantly, just like for force majeure, the causative link needs to be established between the unforeseen supervening event and the impossibility of performance as contemplated by the parties. If the link is made, the common law doctrine triggers an automatic right to terminate the contract. So how does the consequence of frustration differ to force majeure? Is it correct to say that the consequence of force majeure will be defined in a contract and that the consequence usually includes, for example, suspension of contract until the event completes? Yes, that is correct. And if the event does not complete by a certain date, termination. Of course, these are common consequences, but parties will need to closely look at their contracts. One last point, and a very important one. Mere economic impracticability, or where performance simply becomes more onerous, will not frustrate the contract. You touched on termination. Can you expand further on termination of contracts? Absolutely. Put simply, each party has a right to terminate a contract if the other party breaches the terms of it or refuses to perform its obligations. The right may arise from the doctrine of frustration or force majeure and COVID-19's impact, or through some other conventional contractual mechanism, such as a default of a primary obligation. If a party wishes to pursue termination of contract, it must look closely at whether the contract requires the party to provide a formal notice of breach and a lifeline for the defaulting party to remedy that breach within a certain period. For some type of contracts, there are legislative obligations that require the opportunity to remedy the breach, such as applicable franchise agreements under the Franchising Code of Conduct. And what happens with damages? If a contract was validly terminated, a party may be entitled to damages against the defaulting party. The calculation of damages will vary based on the contract, but the principle is that damages are given to put parties in a position had the contract been performed. What if a party wrongfully terminates? The terminating party may be liable for damages. Finally, parties usually have a duty to take reasonable steps to mitigate its loss, suffered by reason of the breach which gave rise to the right to terminate. If a party fails to fulfil that duty, damages may be reduced. This has been very informative. Thank you, Giron. I think it's fair to say that in such uncertain times, it is critical that parties are certain about their protections and obligations under their contracts. Absolutely. Well, thank you very much for tuning in and listening to part one of our special edition Trial by Podcast. We hope you join us for part two, where we will be exploring a number of other legal issues arising across various areas of law during the COVID-19 pandemic. Please also remember to review us on SoundCloud or iTunes so that others can find us and listen. If there is a particular topic you would like discussed, 
please let us know directly. You can find our contact details on our website at www.mccabecurwood.com.au. Thank you again, and you stay healthy, Sydney. We look forward to seeing you for part two.